right, welcome to In Your Corner with Core Physical Therapy. My name is Scott McKenzie, and this podcast is uniquely positioned. And what I mean by that, we bring the medical industry, the medical professionals to you, and we talk about better pain management, we talk about rehab after surgery, we talk about improved mobility, and we talk about preventative care. And you know what else? We talk about so much more on this particular podcast. Now, thank you for joining this podcast. So let's get on with the interview. All right, gents, welcome to Radio Cora. You know why? Because in your corner with Cora, that's what this podcast is all about. And you guys are experts, and I am so excited that we get to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, hip flexor, adductor strain, hockey players, all of that. Dr. Richard Lehman, kick it off. <laughs> Good evening, everybody. This is Dr. Rick Lehman in St. Louis. And uh, tonight, we have an esteemed panel, and I'm going to have the panel introduce themselves. We're talking about hockey, hip injuries, hip flexor injuries, and adductor injuries, which are very, very common in hockey, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But Dr. Van Thiel, could you introduce yourself? Sure. First of all, I'd like to thank Cora and certainly Dr. Lehman, a titan in our field. So it's really an honor to be a part of this. Um, I practice in Rockford, Illinois, about 60, 70 miles outside of Chicago and been involved with hockey for probably about the last eight or nine years through both the AHL and then peripherally with the uh, Blackhawks um, in the NHL. So uh, certainly some experience um, and uh, just happy to be a part of this. And Tim, could you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're practicing and kind of your experience as well? Certainly. Thank you, Dr. Lehman, first for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. And I am a clinic manager with Core of Physical Therapy. I'm in Belvedere, Illinois. I've been outpatient orthopedics now 12 years, and I specialize in manual therapy. So doing more hands-on things, um, dry needling, A-STEM, spinal manipulation. So whatever skills I can add to help benefit the patient. That's awesome. And tonight we're talking about kind of the dreaded uh, hip, hip flexor and hip injuries in hockey. Um, one of the issues, of course, that we see commonly at all levels, not just the NHL, but the AHL and college hockey, et cetera, are hip injuries. Or 53.2% of players uh, in the NHL last year had, or 2019, not last year, last year was a terrible year, um, <laughs> had hockey hip injuries, hockey-related hip injuries, and 29.5% had missed man games. So starting out, uh, Dr. Van Thiel, what, could you please discuss the anatomy of the hip flexor and kind of the adductor, how they're different and how they pertain to hockey? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, as you kind of alluded to, the hip is really a problem area with hockey players. Uh, you know, we see it, I think, similar in baseball players where you get a lot of remodeling early on of that hip to accommodate the skating motion. And along with that skating motion, um, you certainly impact your adductors, uh, which are really kind of coming up the inside of the leg, attaching onto the pelvis. And then your hip flexors get impacted as well. And, you know, the hip flexors, especially the iliopsoas, really coming through and attaching onto the spine can really be impacted by pelvic rotation and different types of skating techniques as well. So, you know, I would tell you just in our experience, uh, not, not just with the anatomy per se of the hip flexors and the adductors, but we've even seen changes in our injuring pattern based on strength coaches that we've had and how those different anatomic areas have been strengthened and how they've been focused on. So, you know, the anatomy um, is really critical to understand and really critical to, to affect both treatment um, and prevention of these injuries. That's excellent. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about the functional demands of a hockey player 
Um, I think we can all agree you're in a flex position and basically like most sports, your hip flexors kind of are on overload, but, but discuss a little bit about the functional demands of the adductors and how they're impacted and hip flexors and how they're impacted both in skating, going front to back, stopping, change of direction, et cetera. Yeah, you know, the, the mechanism of skating really requires a pretty powerful external rotation and abduct, abduction force um, in order to get that initial push off. Now, the adductors are, you know, I at least personally, I've seen them affected a lot in deceleration um, with skating because um, they're trying to basically balance out with the abductors uh, to accommodate for both quick movement side to side as well as front to back. And that's in really our position players. Goalies clearly have a different mechanism altogether in terms of how they impact their adductors. But their hip flexors and the overdevelopment of abductors compared to adductors can certainly impact um, injury patterns and how they're using them um, and everything else. And, you know, as you alluded to, you know, in the preface, um, there's really a high prevalence of these injuries in our, in our skating athletes because of that mechanism of skating. No, I think that's excellent. And, and that's right. I, I, there, there's no question we go into training camp and we go throughout the season looking for uh, imbalances, key, number one. And number two, you just know you're going to see a ton of these injuries during the season, soft tissue injuries, most of the players play. But sometimes it gets sidelined for a period of time, uh, getting into sports hernias, et cetera, and, and it can be a real issue in terms of missed man games. So when you see these athletes, athlete comes off the ice, tells you he's got a groin pull or whatever he says, discuss the physical exam a little bit and, and, and give us some pearls about the physical exam. What, what do we need to know? How do we need to examine these athletes? And what are we really looking for? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really complex area and it becomes exceedingly difficult to figure out kind of what's going on, because as you alluded to earlier, you really have athletic pubalgia that can be in that area. You can have sports hernias that can be in that area. You can have the uh, hip flexors involving the iliopsoas, the adductors, and then even the labrum when you get into intraarticular hip pathology, that iliopsoas sits right on top of that anterior labrum. Um, so it becomes very difficult to start to differentiate out which one of those things are the problem and then which one of those things we're going to be addressing. You know, I think for me, it really starts with when and how did this start? Uh, what was the mechanism? Was it one injury? Has this been something that's building? Is this something that happened in the beginning of the game? Is this something that happened at the end of the game? What position were you in? Was this a contact injury? Was this a twist injury? Was this a strain injury? So really that clinical history becomes really critical in getting me to start thinking about what's causing that pain. Once we've started to get through some of that, the location of the pain becomes very important as well. So is this on the inside of the leg? Is this on the top of the leg? Is this happening when your hip is flexing? Is this more towards the central portion of the pelvis? Starts to clue me in. And then we get down into the palpation, um, really starting to feel through those tendons and the muscle belly, bellies. And that's really kind of what I think directs me probably the most to where that injury is. But it can, it can be complex, as, uh, as you know, and it takes multiple different things to start to figure that out, both listening to the player, both hearing what they're saying and then examining them too. We can't jump into exam too much in this situation because we'll miss some really big clues. No, that I, I agree with that. I, I think that this is a situation where the more of these things you see, and just like you said, you hit it on the head, the, the mechanism of injury is so important. And commonly we'll look at video. G give us your thoughts on video. Does it help you? Does it not help you? Uh, commonly when they, when it, a team sends a, an athlete. We had a kid today from the Titans. 
Uh, I'm always asking for the game video because I'm curious to see exactly what happened. And hockey really seems to lend itself a little bit to that. So, so give us your thoughts on, on the mechanisms and give us your thoughts on video. And then we'll talk a little about testing. You've examined the athlete, you know, then, then what are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's three different categories kind of of the players that I see in terms of the types of injuries that they're complaining of one you have where it's been kind of, it hasn't, it wasn't one specific event, but rather this is something that's kind of been going on. It's been increasing. Maybe they feel it a little bit. And then all of a sudden when they get to game speed, now everything's magnified. They're noticing one to 2% differences in their performance, especially in these hockey players. They're just so in tune with their bodies that, you know, a one to 2% difference in one leg throws them off altogether. And that's all they can, they can keep focusing on that. So you have these that are really kind of building you then have these kind of non-contact injuries where, you know, I was trying to clear the puck. I was, you know, on a push or something like that. And that's where in the video, you can really see where they've kind of pulled up or maybe where they started to get some of that pain was, was it a twist? Was it a push off those types of things? And then the third are the contacts, which really kind of happen in the scrum a little bit. And, you know, the funny thing is they get so focused on the game. Sometimes I would tell you that they can't even tell me what happened to their body part. You know, they, they say, I got caught up in the corner. I was doing this. I was doing that. They usually remember exactly what they were doing, but I said, well, what happened to your hip or what happened to your leg? And they said, I don't know. I just couldn't get, I couldn't, I couldn't pinpoint what happened. It's I knew something was different when I came out of that. And that's also where video happens. I mean, you can see a twist of the leg, you can see a pull of the leg, um, and then you start to get a better idea of what's going on. But yeah, video can certainly be helpful because they get so focused on the game that they're sometimes not always paying attention to kind of even what's happening to their own body. But, you know, I'm interested to hear your experience with that too, because you certainly have been doing this and seen more of it than I have. No, I, th I think the video for me is very, very helpful looking at the mechanism. And you're right, a lot of times they come out of the corner and they, they don't know what happened. And generally one of their teammates may know what happened. They'll say, yeah, I saw he caught an edge or whatever. And, and, and you get a little bit of, of information from somebody else who is on the play, who is digging out the puck and maybe, maybe saw what happened. But for me, I, I always like to look at the video. I think that probably started doing, doing Olympic kids and then doing NFL. But I, I, I feel like I have a better view of what happened. And again, you hit it on the head. I think asking the hockey player, the mechanism of injury, you know, is asking me about my HVAC system. I mean, it's just, it's just not, not going to be all that helpful. So, so after you see these guys, you, you, you evaluate them, what, what tests do you get? I mean, do you get x-rays or where do we go from there? Yeah, I typically won't. Well, it, you know, it kind of depends on the injury. If this is pure muscle belly, I would tell you that we get an almost an, we get an MRI in almost everybody really to both kind of have a better idea what's going on. And with players and agents and everything else, you know, I think that, you know, it's just something that happens more commonly. As you know, the most difficult thing with imaging in these situations is that we know that these players, even before they had the injury, have findings on MRI that aren't normal. You know, some of the studies out there are showing 36% of hockey players that are asymptomatic have athletic pubalgia symptoms or, or signs on an MRI. 46 up to some of Mark Philippon's work is showing 80% of players have labral injuries or adductor issues on MRIs. And these are asymptomatic players. So if you say, okay, 80% of players are going to have a labral tear what's the value of getting an MRI? Sometimes I find that it shifts the focus. They get so focused on that MRI finding when it may not be relevant. Somebody may have a labral tear 
but an adductor injury and their labrum might be totally asymptomatic, but now all of a sudden we're focused on these things. So I typically will always get an MRI, but I throw a disclaimer out there to the players that I can guarantee them that I'm going to find something on that MRI, but it's all about how they're feeling. But an MRI is really kind of that, that initial step, especially for soft tissue injuries. That's excellent. And, and any diagnostic injections kind of, kind of walk me through. So the athlete comes in, he's got complaints, you're seeing them in between the first and second period you don't really have an MRI you let them play what's our next steps in between periods and then tell me about what happens in the office the next day yep you order the MRI do you do anything else initially kind of where do we go do we wait for the MRI results where do we go from there so give us kind of both scenarios yeah so let's uh we'll start with kind of in between periods you know somebody says I had an injury in this period I was you know, skating on a push, I felt something pull, I have a hard time, you know, skating, I feel like I'm at 75-80%. You know, the tricky thing in that situation is, um, I would tell you early on, my, uh, my first inclination was to try and get them back. Don't worry about this, you're not going to do more damage. This is a, you know, a low grade muscle strain. What I've kind of learned as we've seen more of this is, they can't get back most of the time. I mean, I tell you, the guys that I send back after that first period are coming out during the second period saying I can't do it. So, you know, especially in these injuries where the players actually coming to me because hockey players are pretty tough guys. um, So they're not really complaining unless there's really something going on. I would tell you the majority of the time we're taking people out of the game in that situation because these can be injuries that start to get worse. They can get aggravated more. Um, So we're really taking them out. We're doing an exam. We're saying, okay, this is in the adductor region or this is in the hip flexor region. You know, we usually start them on some ice, start them on some stretching, kind of just some mobilization type stuff early on. We then usually say, hey, you know what, let's define the the degree of tearing with an MRI. Let's get an MRI either that night or the next morning. And then we sit down and we say, you know, how are you feeling? The MRI is showing this. Sometimes you can see different things on the MRI, what we're going to call edema patterns, or we're going to see different findings in that muscle that can kind of tell me how long I think this is going to be for that person to get out. So once we have that MRI, um, I don't use a a lot of ultrasound um, in in my experience. I don't have not developed a skill enough to be able to diagnose some of these things with ultrasound. In terms of uh, injections, once we've kind of determined what's going on, I think a diagnostic injection can be really, really helpful when you're trying to determine whether or not this is an intraarticular hip problem versus whether or not this is a muscular problem around the hip. And where that comes into play is if we follow this line, is if we say, okay, on this MRI, things look pretty good, but the person has a tear of their labrum, but their symptoms are consistent with an adductor injury let's try an intraarticular hip injection. If we do an intraarticular hip injection and they say, holy cow, I feel fantastic. That's the greatest thing ever. I could go do anything I want. Well, maybe we were wrong. Maybe this is a hip issue. But a lot of the time we do that intraarticular hip injection and they say, you know what? I don't feel any better. I still can't skate. I'm I'm still having these problems. And that's when we start to talk about kind of what treatment looks like. And I'm sure we'll kind of get into this, but we start with gentle mobilization. You know, we start with kind of early strengthening, progressing them through that. Um, And that's really kind of starts us down that treatment algorithm, which is really hard because timing is so difficult in these because that's what every GM wants to know. Do I need to bring another player in? When's this guy going to be back? Do I need to call somebody up? And you want to say, hey, this looks like a low grade injury. This is going to be a week. 
this is going to be two weeks, but I would tell you, as you know, sometimes four, six, four to six weeks later, you're still dealing with some of these issues, but kind of a long-winded response. I hope I got to some of the, the core of the question you were act- asking with the, the diagnostic testing. Oh, I thought that was good. And we do quite a bit of diagnostic testing, especially in adductor injuries. And you're right. Sometimes you have to differentiate intraarticular and, and rarely, I mean, you see some labral pathology and every, a lot of the athletes have FAI, as you said, chronically, but I think in these acute situations, generally they're, they're, they're not likely to be an acute labral tear. It's much more likely to be an acute soft tissue injury. So Tim, yeah. Dr. Van Thiel kind of stole a little bit of your show here. Um, getting into the uh, treatment pattern. So why don't you tell us uh, what, give us your assessment, your PT assessment, and where are we going? Dr. Van Thiel sees the athlete. He says, look, we've got your scan. Here's your diagnosis. You have an adductor strain. You have a hip flexor strain, soft tissue injury. Uh, Give us both patterns and and how you're going to treat those, but maybe more importantly, how are you going to assess those? A patient comes in and, you, you, you've got a diagnosis or a tentative diagnosis. How are you going to assess that athlete? And then, again, how are you going to treat that athlete? Sure. So, yeah, a script comes over from, like, Dr. Van Thiel says adductor strain on it. Um, first, I just want to, like he said, listen to the patient, really, and just tell me what's going on. What are you experiencing? Um, kind of get their story on things. And then really just putting my hands on the patient, too. Like Dr. Van Thiel said, palpating. I want to know where they're having discomfort, I want to, you know, get in there. And then there's special tests that we learn, you know, so to differentiate between interarticular versus muscle. And then I really want to see that patient just move. So how are they moving? Um, obviously, you mentioned the video. I like to see that sometimes or have them take videos so I can see what they look like in their normal situation where they're having discomfort, be it at the gym or whatever. But I want to get in there and just assess, see where they're sore, find out where their pain is. Um, and then we, I've learned different manual therapy techniques. So I really want to find out what their limits are and then also assess their strength. You know, So if they're overdeveloped in their abductors, I want to see whether if they're weak in their adductors, how tight are their hip flexors, um, how, basically the rest of the leg, the hamstrings too. Are you stretching on a regular basis? What are you, what does your workout program look like? So I will start with just gentle, you know, light. If it's a very acute strain, we're just going to start with gentle, some mobilization, some gentle stretching, some light strengthening, um, really get them just to calm that whole area down, be that through some manual therapy, that type of thing. And then it's there from there, it's building up their strength. And I really want to work the muscle and all three planes of motion if I can ultimately, um, and I don't want to work them too fast, you know, too fast, too soon either, but it's going based on the severity of the injury and then just how the patient responds to the treatment as you go through therapy. So do you see a couple questions, Tim, do you see those patients every day? Do you see them twice a day? Uh, how often do you see them acute AHL player strain? As Dr. Van Thiel said, everyone's breathing down your neck to get the player back. Playoffs are coming. Um, how often do you see them? How long your treatment, how long your treatments and, and how long do you think you're going to need to treat them for? And I know that's going to be difficult to say, but give us a little idea in terms of uh, frequency. Do you recommend crutches? Kind of, kind of the basics. Sure. Yeah. So the sooner I can see them, the better. Um, the longer it goes, the more chronic it becomes. So I want to get them into clinic right away. And, you know, if it's acute, just happened, then we're going to get in there and start working as soon as possible at a session, you know, usually is around 45 minutes, but it all depends on 
how they're feeling, how they tolerate um, what the exercises. And then from there, I'll see them. If it's uh, something where we want to get back to sport as soon as possible, I'm going to see them more often and try to give them more the treatment they need to get them back sooner. And uh, I'm not a fan of crutches. I mean, if it's acute and they're going to need some assistive device, that's great. But I want to try and normalize their gait as soon as possible too. get them walking, get them moving. And um, it all depends, like I said, on the severity. So that's excellent. Thank you. So Dr. Van Thiel, patient comes in soft tissue injury, hip flexor strain. Um, is there any recommendation or any place for biologics and, and, and explain what your thoughts on biologics in general and specific biologics if uh, you use them? Yeah, so, you know, after what Tim had kind of talked about with some of the manual techniques, I think biologics are a really hot topic, not just in hockey, but in all sports uh, right now. Um, you know, I would say that people start talking about them as stem cells, which is certainly, I think, a misnomer. Um, you know, I think the biologics that uh, we're kind of most familiar with are something called PRP, uh, which is basically taking blood and spinning that down into growth factors. Um, and in terms of biologics, I would say that a few years ago, we were using these relatively frequently in some of these adductor injuries, especially the ones that they were really kind of tendon to bone issues um, up at the pelvis. Um, and uh, Mike Terry, someone who works with the Blackhawks, did a study showing some good results with this. I would say that subsequently, um, I, you know, I spoke with a person named Bill Myers, who does a lot of sports hernia surgery in a lot of these high level athletes. And he actually has some really strong opinions against PRP and biologics and adductor injuries. He feels that they can um, they can cause some what we call heterotopic ossification, which is some bone growth within that adductor region. So over the last probably two to three years, I've really steered away from using PRP, which is, I think, what most of us would consider to be um, the biologics in these adductor injuries. Um, in terms of other things, injections, I, I typically don't do a cortisone injection into the adductor region, certainly not into the adductor insertion. In select iliopsoas or hip flexor issues, if I think it's purely iliopsoas, I will consider doing an iliopsoas corticosteroid injection. Um, if that's the issue, but really, you know, biologics, um, at least in my treatment of people has probably fallen out just a little bit. Um, I'm, you know, waiting to see some more of the results and some of the high level people, um, with some of these new concerns that have been brought to my attention, but I'm interested to hear your opinion because it's certainly a, uh, it's a contentious topic in some, in some respects. I, th I think it's, it's, it's certainly a topic, um, under constant change. Uh, we're, we're, we're using some amniotics cells and uh we do quite a bit of, of biologics actually in hamstring injuries you see a lot of hamstring injuries in track athletes and we don't do a lot of uh biologics in hip flexors or adductors or psoas injuries and i'm not a big fan of cortisone at this time but i i do feel as we learn more about the different biologics i.e different concentrations different cell types, et cetera, we're going to better understand indications, dosing. We have no idea what we're doing in terms of dosing. We don't know if this is nine time platelet factors, if it's two times. So I just think there's so much uncertainty. And Mike Terry did actually write a pretty good article uh, when I was a team doctor, I think for Tampa Bay, when we won the cup, um, he, he gave some good talks. And, and, and I, I would say uh, at the, at, at this time, you know, everybody comes in and, you know, they want PRP, they want this, they want stem cells, they want all these things that they know nothing about. And I think when you start to educate them, certainly with the 
price. Um, a lot of them will, will back off a little bit when you try to explain to them really what they're getting. But I, but I do think uh, a lot of the agents will push, will push for that. And I think you have to just tell them straight up. So I think your answer was excellent. Um, quick question, Tim, patient comes in. Um, they're, they're ready. They're doing pretty well. Give me your protocol back to the ice. I mean, when, when do you let them skate? When do you go out for a twirl? When do you let them stick handle? What, what happens after you, uh, see them in the clinic, they seem to be doing better. Their gait's normalized. Maybe they can get on the treadmill normally. Maybe you have a skating treadmill. What is their progression back to the ice? Sure. And before I talk about that, just real quick, going back to the biologics, uh, one modality that I like I'm certified in is dry needling. So I like to do that when it's acute muscles, just to get in there, um, bring blood flow to that area, help work out any, I'm just trying to stop scar formation basically. Um, I want healthy scar tissue to lay down. So you can also do electro stem. So you get to the deeper muscles that way. Um, so that is also something that people could consider. Um, I've seen that it helps them recover quicker. The research is kind of, it's not really showing one way or the other at this point for dry needling, but, uh, to go back to your other question. Oh, wait, 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 they, be, be, before you, before you move on, you brought up a good point. So tell, tell us about, tell us about a stem and tell us about dry needling. What, what are they? Sure. So ASTEM, it's similar to Graston, where you're just using tools to work the tissue and you're trying to feel the tools allow you to feel a little bit better, which seems a little crazy, but it actually helps you feel better what's going on in the muscle. And then you're able to break up that scar tissue. You're trying to, it's almost more like a proprioceptive response. So you can modulate your pressure. You're not going deep enough to cause bruising pain, but I'm trying to get in there break up that scar tissue, kind of re restart the whole inflammatory process for the body. Like, hey, I need to go back in here, lay down healthier tissue, not this scar tissue that's been laid down here. And then with dry needling, that's, you know, deeper technique. It's a strong technique. Now that people are crazy about needles. They're like, please don't stick a needle at me. But I would love to do that to you sometime, Dr. Layman. But um, <laughs> it's uh, something that really actually helps because um, you feel it deeper. It's getting below the superficial level of the skin and you're getting down to that actual muscle. So you can be very specific and then you leave the needle in based on the patient's response. But the longer you go, ideally, you're just getting bathing that whole area in blood. So those are two great techniques that we do and use quite often. And, and, and now let's go back to, to and, and I am actually a big fan of dry needling uh, and Gaston and ASTEM, which I think are similar. That thing always looks like the, the little crumb catcher that you get from the Mater D at the restaurant, but it's right. a lot more expensive. So um, tell us how you get that athlete from the clinic back to the ice and what are your steps? And Dr. Van Thiel, you can jump in, but I'm, I'm just trying to figure out kind of steps getting them back and then progression from there. Sure. So with the patient, I would say to start just that you want to, you know, see how they're moving in the clinic, but then you kind of just keep testing, see where their limits are. And, you know, let's add a little bit more. How's that feel type thing. Um, and then you're always going back and retesting. All right. Can you do a, you know, a squat? Can you do a lunge? You know, how's that looking? What's their body mechanics techniques with that? Are they compensating? And then I can always take them back to the table and retest the muscles too and see, well, this one's feeling stronger, but more so I want to make it as functional as possible. Like, all right, how are you actually moving? And then if need be, I'll go to the rink and I'll watch them. You know, I just want to see how they move and try to replicate as much as I can here in the gym too, or the clinic. And Dr. Van Thiel, yeah. give us your thoughts. 
athlete comes in, he says, man, I feel great. I'm ready to play. They're four yeah, weeks yeah. out, three weeks out. What do you tell them? Yeah, these are ones that are hard because there's no timetable that you can give them. You can't tell them four weeks. So we try and have kind of stages that we take them through, you know, and we kind of have different phases of the recovery that we take them through as well. So that first phase is really just working on some really just kind of gentle strengthening of that, some early manual mobilization of that. Once they hit about 50 or 60 percent of what I would consider to be normal strength in that adductor muscle group, we then take them to the next phase, which then focuses on normalization of range of motion in comparison to the other hip that focuses on continued strengthening once they get to about 75 to 80% strength and that they have full uh, motion compared to the contralateral side, we then start higher level functional stuff, higher level skating. Um, when they have about 80 to 85% of their abductor strength from that same side, meaning they've balanced out their abductor with their adductor and their strength on their adductor is about the same as their other side and they have full range of motion, that's when we let them get back into kind of full levels of competition and usually starts with practice game speed and practice. Um, and then if they're comfortable with that, they can get back to kind of game speed. So, you know, at least trying to set these, these next kind of hurdles that they have to get to, it takes them to this, it gives them a goal these these typically any athlete tends to be really goal focused. So if you kind of give them these different levels that they can get to, um, you know, they understand that progression back that it's not just, I'm going to go in and get massage and you're going to, the trainer's going to work on me with some stuff for a while. And then four weeks from now, I'm going to be skating. So they, they understand that progression. So we try and set that in the very beginning. So they understand where they're going. And, and, and how do you work on their acceleration and their speed? Are there programs or their drills kind of, kind of, how do you bump them up? As you said, to kind of be ready for game situations. Yeah. And, you know, you're kind of alluding to the point that it's really hard to mimic um, game type situations with some of this strengthening stuff. You know, you can try, you know, you can strengthen, 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 but until you really get into, you know, especially like the third period strength, right? When they get through that first period and second period and some of that fatigue and endurance starts to set in, are they, are their mechanics changing? Are they increasing the risk of injury? And, you know, there's really not a, uh, not a great way of, of getting to that other than just doing it. So we will limit minutes going back, um, especially from these a bit so that we can avoid some of that. But, you know, a lot of this um, is just really kind of testing them, making sure that they're hitting that progression, testing them on ice, te testing them in practice situations. And then prevention is really key too. you know, just getting into some of these programs with adductor strengthening. I think there's been a big rise in some of these adductor injuries over the last couple of years now, and that we've seen the biggest rise in preseason games. Um, and a lot of that's just because of what they're off-season work looks like are you controlling that are you controlling their programs in the off-season and this is true for kind of any level of athlete but prevention especially in these situations is really key because we also know that once you've had one injury your risk of having it again significantly goes up as well so you know the more you can prevent that initial one I think the, the better off these players are so it encompasses a lot of different components no question no question I think that was excellent so kind of changing gears a little bit talk to us about surgery is there a surgery you talked about mark philippon a little bit um what percentage of, of soft tissue injuries around the hip become surgical and what is a surgery for an avulsion of an adductor or an avulsion of a hip flexor or a chronic hip flexor adductor problem yeah so really complex issues i'll try and break it down into kind of hip flexor and adductor since those are our two topics a little bit and certainly with the 
the rise of sports hernia surgery, we've seen a huge increase in um, surgeries for kind of these medial based thigh pain or, you know, adductor region pains. Um, and so I think you have, if you have a true avulsion from the pelvis of an adductor, um, you know, a lot of times we will consider fixing those, although there's good studies out of the NFL that shows that the return is actually quicker to a high level without fixing them. But in certain situations, um, based on retraction, what those look like, we'll consider fixing those. But again, really rare. Um, most of these we don't touch. Um, we take them through kind of the therapy aspect of things. When you get to the higher level, so the player that can't get back, they've missed lots of the season, they've had missed an off season, they can't do it. We really get into kind of these, you know, one or two percentile type of players. And I've been part of some player management, haven't done it personally, where we've actually um, we've released the adductor tendon um, because it was such a painful issue. Seasons missed. Um, we've released the adductor tendon. Most of these people will get into sports hernia surgery that have adductor problems that are long. And whether or not that's related to this ilioinguinal or genitofemoral nerves in that area, whether it's related to, you know, muscle and fascia, the hard thing is there aren't great MRIs that tell us what these are. So it's really a failure of conservative treatment that leads to these sports hernia type surgeries, which are probably most common. Um, what we see. Now, when we jump over to the hip flexor, uh, I would say seven years ago, I do a lot of hip arthroscopy. People were releasing the uh, iliopsoas or the hip flexor at the level of the joint pretty frequently because it's about 50% tendon, 50% muscle there. What we found in subsequent studies is that it actually increases pain and increases some weakness and oftentimes doesn't address the problem that you were originally trying to. So in a lot of these hip flexor issues, we're really attributing it to some labral instability or FAI in that, situ in that area of the hip flexor. So a lot of these players that go through all the conservative management um, and really can't get back to the level of play will end up with a hip arthroscopy and addressing some of the adhesions on the underside or scar tissue on the underside of the hip flexor or that labrum in that area of the of the iliopsoas, or even some impingement. And a lot of times they do really well with that um, and they don't lose that sort of strength and they don't have the same sort of issues if we release the iliopsoas. But a little bit long-winded, but a very complex topic. And if you took 10 people, you know, like yourself or anyone else that treats these athletes, you're probably gonna get 10 different answers about when to move forward with a surgery. Right, I think it tells us how, how tough they are to manage surgically. And again, the results are, plus minus sports injury sports hernia is a little bit different I think a little more predictable uh, soccer players hockey players adductor injuries uh, quite a bit tougher so so Tim on a closing note how can we prevent these injuries the season hasn't started yet it's the off season athlete had a grade two adductor tear or a grade two hip flexor tear they're home they're in Alberta Canada what what, what do we got to do in the off season what do we got to do in camp so we can avoid kind of the same issue happening again, recurrence, et cetera. Sure. So I would first say treat the off season like the season. So don't get lazy, um, work hard every day, make sure that you're taking care of your body. So if you um, are on a regular stretching program, you're working out on a regular basis, you need, they need to keep all those muscles strong and they know the muscles that they use. So I want them to work those muscles, you know, on a regular basis in a program where they're doing strength training, but also working, you know, the, the full body. So complex body movements where they're, they're attacking those muscles, different angles, different um, speeds, all those things to make sure that they're in the best shape possible and to um, really just be prepared. And, and then when they get in the camp, is there any special testing? Do you look for imbalances? 
um, athlete comes in, had a previous adductor tear, just got traded, and you're looking at them, do you recommend scans or do you send them over to Dr. Van Thiel? How do we progress that guy when he gets into camp, he's had his physical, and they send him to you and they say, look, last year he missed 23 games. How are we going to not have that happen again? Sure. So if, if I have concerns, you know, I will first do a quick injury screen assessment to come out. And then if I think something's going on, I'll refer out to Dr. Van Thiel and be like, hey, I think you need to look at this. Uh, it seems like there's something that's not right here. And it's, you know, I want to make sure that injury doesn't happen again. So I'm talking to him about what have you done in the past? What are you going to do going forwards for your, your rehab or just training in general? But it's something that, you know, if, if they don't treat it, it's going to come back, like you said previously. So I really want to uh, just try and bolster their understanding of their body, knowing what's working and when, and just be able to better assess how they're moving. Great. Thank you. So both you guys, closing comments, anything we missed? What, what, what should we add to this podcast that we uh, blatantly forgot? I don't think too much. That was, uh, that was, that was pretty, that was pretty good. You know, obviously you could talk about this stuff for a while. So it's, uh, but that was pretty comprehensive. Yeah. I have a question for you guys. How do yes, I get a hold of you? I mean, it's one thing to have the <laughs> podcast, but then all of a sudden, hey, everybody goes their own way. What's the best way to get a hold of uh, you, Tim? Sure. Yeah. You can, I'm on uh, Facebook. I'm on um, LinkedIn. I'm on, you can call me here at the clinic. Um, you can always email me. It's T Seppelt at corehealth.com, but I try to be available as uh, much as possible. Um, I just really want to be there for people when the injury happens as soon, sooner than later, for sure. And you, Dr. Van Thiel. Yeah, the best way is always going to be kind of email or on the web. Uh, my last name, V-A-N-T-H-I-E-L-M-D.com um, is really kind of the best source of information. Um, and, you know, we do second opinions and I you know, start conversations with people right. from a ways away that have questions about things. So I actually get a lot of emails from therapists um, that I've talked to or met over time at different meetings that kind of follow up. So I'm always happy to converse with anybody. There you go, man. And, and you, uh, Dr. Lehman. Yeah, my name is Dr. Rick Lehman. I'm at the U.S. Center for Sports Medicine in St. Louis. And you can get us uh, on our website, U.S. Center for Sports Medicine, or call us at 314 909 1666 but probably the easiest thing to do just like dr van thiel is um get on our website and if you have a question give us a call uh, i like it like it uh all right we're gonna have to wrap it up as we you know uh we're gonna have don't worry about it listeners out there we're gonna have all this contact information out there so you can have access to it if, if one of the conversations sparked something in you they're available that is great stuff good job guys and uh, do not go away. We're going to wrap it up on the other side. So all your questions will be answered on how to get in contact with them because they've already answered all their questions. Thank you very much for joining Radio Cora. And thank you very much for being a part of this podcast. Stay tuned.